Today I'm going to talk about what's my motive. Now we talked the last couple of weeks about worship. And true worship flows from a God-centered motive. But you might ask the question, what is motive? What is motive? Motive is the reason for doing something. So if you're going to say, what's your motive? You're asking the question, what's the reason why you do the thing that you're doing? It's the individual's motivation to do something. It's the reason why we do something. You say, everybody, some people are just not motivated to do anything. Well, their motivation is to do nothing. You ask yourself the question, what motivates a person to do nothing? As opposed to what motivates a person to do something? So motivation is the individual's reason for doing something. Now, there's two kinds of motivation in this world. Uh, can you tell me what kinds of motivation they are? Intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And that's where you get the, the picture of the donkey with a carrot in front of the, their face. The hunger of the donkey is an intrinsic motivation. The carrot is an extrinsic motivation. The donkey looks at the carrot and says, I think I'd like a bite of that, and starts to walk towards the carrot. You can never get to the carrot, but starts to walk. Now, of course, if the stick is involved, and it's usually a carrot or a stick, if the donkey is not hungry and doesn't want the carrot, then the person uses an extrinsic motivator called a stick, belts the backside of the donkey, and the donkey goes, oh, I don't think I want to have that pain again, and intrinsically moves away from the pain because they don't want to experience that pain again. So extrinsic motivation is that which is outside of you, and intrinsic motivation is the thing or the reason why you do something from the inside. So this this idea of we get motivated by outer things and by inner things. Intrinsic motivation refers to the behavior that is produced by inner drives. So what are some of those inner drives that we have? Can you give me an idea of some of the things that you might have within yourself that would be an inner drive? Fear, hunger, appetite, I'm hungry for something. Guilt, if I'm feeling guilty about something, I'll do certain things. That will become an intrinsic motivation. Anything else? A desire for love and a relationship with somebody would be an inner drive and it would drive you into, into doing something else. Yep. Sorry? A feeling of innocence would, yeah. My daughter was, had a, an innocence about her and when the TV goes on, and this is when she was a little girl, she'd look at that and go, <gasps> and she'd walk into the other room because it would motivate her, her sense of innocence and purity would motivate her to get out of the room when the TV was on. Amen. So what else? What other things? Can you think of any other? Sorry? Pride is the motivation. I've got to be, I've got to be doing things. I am big. I'm, I'm. So there's lots and lots of motivations that are within us. Fear, love, lust, anger, mistrust, hatred, grief, happiness, frustration. They're all motivations and they're all part of the hunger and thirsting that goes on. And so the question of what is my motivation is a very profound and complex question. It could have so many factors coming into it. Basically, your motivations are built up of your thoughts, the sort of things that you think, your beliefs, those things that have become strong, strong thoughts for you, strong beliefs, your emotions, the way you feel about things, usually connected to your thoughts and connected to the way you feel about things. 
The sensual affectations, we say sensual, it's like you're hungry or you're thirsty or you're feeling some sort of passion or you're feeling some sort of lust or whatever. That's the sensual effect that that has on your body. And they can be subconscious and they can be conscious. Now, what do we mean by subconscious and conscious? Subconscious is one that you're not aware of. So it's driving you, but you don't even know it's you driving it. You might, have, you might have got bitten when you're a little boy by a dog and it's produced inside of you when you're just a little boy a fear of hairy things that run up and go roof, roof. Now, you may not even remember that because that may be deep, deep, deep in your past. It's something that you experienced before you were actually putting thoughts together in your mind. It is an experience that you went through. But when you're grown now, every time you see a dog run up to you and it barks at you, you wet your pants. You go, oh! You're so scared. You say, well, why is that? I can't even recall. Why would I be doing that? Well, you've forgotten the thing that actually put that thought in you, but that's the motivation. It's, it's right there at a subconscious level. And sometimes we have to dig a little bit to find some of those motivations that affect us like that. Conscious motivation is then something that I'm aware of. Like I'm thinking, consciously thinking, how can I, what can I and this is what I'll do. This is the motivation. And bodily drives are the things that, that accompany what we'd call in the Bible our flesh. Everybody turn to your body, person beside you and say, you got some flesh? You got some flesh. Some of us got more flesh than others. We all got a big dose of sinful flesh. Well, is it sinful or is it just active? Well, it's not sinful flesh, but it's active flesh. It actually tells us that we want something. When we are thirsty, it gives us a dry mouth and we get this sort of sense inside. Some of you might get a headache and say, you know why am I getting a headache? I'm dehydrated. And you think, I need to have a drink. Some of you might get hunger pains and you think, oh, gee, I'm feeling really sick now, nauseous. I'm so nauseous. What is it? I'm, I'm so hungry. How many of you wake up in the morning and feel so hungry, you feel sick, nauseous because you're so hungry in the morning? Sometimes happens. So your body is actually producing a whole lot of chemicals that produce a whole lot of uh, feelings and emotions and sensations inside of you that drive the motivations within you so the question is is what is my motivation it's very complex because if it's driven by a whole lot of things like chemicals that my body is producing if it's driven by experiences that i've experienced when i was young and i can't even remember if it's driven by education and thoughts and all these things that are around me I can't really determine what my motivation is. Can I determine my motive or is it determined for me? Am I a product of my environment or can I change things and alter things and decide to have a different view or a different action than I would normally be taking? Am I a product of my history and my environment and my culture or can I make a change? How many people believe you can make a change? Put your hand up. How many people think you're stuck? Well, I'm glad to see you all think you can change because I want to talk to you about that. When we were doing our, our reading this week, you would have read about David. And David in, in First Chronicles decided that he wanted to, he wanted to do a, 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 a census. He wanted to count how many people that he had or how many warriors he had now king david had an evil motive in doing that but the bible tells us in first chronicles it tells us that that um 
the devil stirred up the heart of David to take account of the men, the mighty men. So we, David knew that counting the people was not what God really likes. I mean, think about it. The reason why we count the number of people in church and we put it in a little book at the side. We don't do that. Actually, we don't. <laughs> but maybe we should, but I don't know. I don't. I don't. <laughs> but anyway, a lot of churches do. They go and take their role. I was working in churches where we had the pastoral staff. There were, say there was 10 pastoral staff in the church. Everybody had a list of names in the head they were looking for. And you know, we'd sit there and we'd tick them off and we'd look around the church. So when everybody else was praising and singing, and praising, we were looking and counting the sheep to see who was there. Is Mr. and Mrs. Reed there? No, they're not there today. I'm going to put a circle around there. We'll have to go and ring them up and find out where they are. Uh, and out of my 50, 50 people, you know, three or well, six were away. So I'll have to give an account to the senior minister on Monday about where they were. I have to find out where they were so that we can keep a tab on everybody. And at the end of the exercise, we put all those, crunched all those numbers together and we could list the name we had. 758 people at church on Sunday. And then we could tell, go to the conference and we say, we've got over seven, 800 people in our churches, you know. I mean, if you put all the meetings together, we've got about you know, 1,500 people, you know, and we would brag about it. You could see, it was almost like a thing all kind of proud about that, you know. And God was never, ever, not one in, in the Old Testament did the, the counting of people just to get a name for yourself was ever considered good. God, God say, he'd say count how many people are and he'd go and take the consensus and they'd, they'd just see how many people are there and then they'd do it and that was okay because counting people wasn't the problem. I mean, they counted the people in the book of Acts and they ran out of fingers and toes and they said there's myriads upon myriads. They had so many. They had 3,000 uh, saved on the first day. So the counting wasn't the problem. It was the motive behind or the reason for the counting that was the problem. So here we have David and David's got this motivation, he wants to count. And this motivation has been stirred up by who? Amen. So the devil can actually work on your motivation. The, the devil can actually work on your motivation to try and get you to do something wrong. He can work on you on the inside and that's called temptation. It's the temptation or a motive to do something that is evil, to do something that is wrong, which is not from God. And the devil is capable of actually stirring it up within you so that you have a reason to move which is not from God or a reason to sit still which is not from God. Your action is not being God-focused. It's not coming from God. It's coming from another source. So you can get moved by the flesh. You can get moved by the devil or you can get moved by God. That's your choice. And you really have to determine who's going to move you to do the things you do. Who is going to move you to action? Is it going to be the flesh, your bodily feelings and desires? Is it going to be the devil who can tell you, you know, you'd like to do that. It'll be very good for you. You should feel very happy doing that. Or is it going to be God? I know it's tough. I know it's hard. I know it's going to take a whole lot of ex discipline and exercise, but I want you to do it. So will you obey me, Mark? You have to make your choice about who will motivate your life. David made a choice to go and count. Joab says, hey, listen, don't do that, king. Because, you know, God... He's got plenty of people out there. Have, we've got millions of people that don't count them. Don't count them. It's not a good thing. The reason you're doing this count is not good. And David says, I don't care. 
I'm going to do the counting. So Job went and did the counting, and of course God was pretty upset and sent a plague and sent some punishment on David and upon the children of Israel. It's interesting that leader, when the leader got his motivation wrong, the people started to suffer. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? That when you, if you're in responsibility and you're involved with other people and, and you have like a mother or a father and you're re, you've got children underneath you and you don't take your motivation seriously, you don't take your focus seriously, oftentimes the effect dribbles down to your kids. If you are a child and you have responsibilities for animals, for birds or for chickens or for ducks or for cats or dogs and you decide to get motivated somewhere else rather than for it's your dog and your cat that suffers when you you forget the responsibilities that they bring into your life that's that's weird somehow isn't it others always suffer when you get your motivation wrong jesus shows us something different though and in the reading this week you would have read john chapter 7 and in john chapter 7 we have the feast of booths that's happening in Jerusalem and uh, Jesus has left uh, Jerusalem and he's gone and he's in Galilee because he says they're trying to kill me in Judea he says I don't want to be in Judea at at this present point of time because there's a lot of hatred towards me there and his brothers come to him because his brothers didn't believe in him he said now for, for no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be made known publicly so he says you know if you if you want to be a famous person Jesus you don't do anything in secret. Get out there and put your face out there. Get your brand out there. Get it out there in everybody's face. Jesus, the miracle worker. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Son of God. Put it out there where everybody is. You, you won't get known if you, you're hiding around in secret. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers were believing him. He said, go, Jesus, go out to the, the, the festival of booze and present yourself. Jesus says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going up there. He says, that's okay for you. You can go up there, but they hate me. And he hung back. See, the motivation to be famous was not in Jesus' vocabulary. The motivation to be publicly known by everybody wasn't something that he was hankering for. He didn't need that in his life. He was trying to be wise. He wanted to communicate the truth of God's word. And this is what Jesus' motive was. He said, he who speaks for himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of one who sent him, he is true and there is no unrighteousness in him. So he wasn't seeking his own glory. He was seeking the glory of the one who sent him. So he wasn't about to go and make his name great. He wasn't about to have a motivation. That thing was not going to move him. He didn't have a motivation whereby he says, I need to get out there and get my face on everything so that I can be famous. He didn't, he didn't have that motivation. He said, I only want to do what God wants me to do. I want to say what God wants me to say. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. I'm going to, I'm going to do it just when, Jesus t- when God tells me to do it. So Jesus would wait for the Father to give him instruction to go because he knew that if he did what God wanted him to do, he'd bring glory to God. And that was his motivation. So what are some of our choice, God-centered choices? Can you give me some God-centered choices? Don't read it. Just tell me what you think some God-centered choices would be. To live a desire to be righteous. You know, we take blessed are the righteous or blessed are the pure in heart. You know? Yep. 
to, to live at peace, to have peace, to be a peacemaker is, a, is, a, is an inner motivation, yeah? What others? To love. That's agape. God's agape love. Phileo love is the warm feeling thing. That's, that's God's desire for us, I suppose. But that just comes automatically. But to love with God's willful love, where it's really difficult to love, to love with God's agape love, a choice love, yes, that's a motivation. It's an inner motivation, yeah. To obey him. Like even when things are very, very hard and it's going to cost you your life, but you will have to obey him. Like Jesus says in the garden, not my will, but thine be done. Here's the motivation to obey the Father, even it, when it was going to cost him his life. He had that motivation. So I want to talk to you then about a motivation. We'll probably talk in the next few weeks about a number of motivations. We'll just see how we go. But today's motivation, I want to talk to you about the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 2 says, He who walks in his righteousness fears the Lord. But he who is devious departs or turns aside in his ways and despises him. Now we've heard that saying, familiarity breeds contempt. Everybody turn to your friend and say, familiarity breeds contempt. I don't believe that. I don't think that familiarity breeds contempt. Because sometimes when you're wanting to get to know someone or you want to get familiar with something, it doesn't breed contempt. It actually breeds intimacy and great love. So familiarity sometimes breeds great love. It doesn't necessarily breed great contempt. And you can get very familiar with a, with a person who's like your wife and you can be 30... How many years have we been married, Jen? Oh, 30, 36, 37, something like that. How many years have you been married, Dad? Long, long time. You know, Dad's probably been married twice as long as I've been married. And you see, they're familiar with each other, Mum and Dad, but I wouldn't say that they're in contempt of each other. So familiarity doesn't necessarily have to breed contempt. But the, the, the contempt comes when you have been familiar with somebody and then your motivation with that person somehow changes. Usually when you're trying to establish a familiar relationship with somebody, you're usually really careful about how you walk with that person. You're very careful about how you approach that person. Usually, like you're thinking, you know, I've got to just be on my best behavior here because I don't want to offend this person. I don't want to scare this person away. I'm trying to coax this person to be closer to me in a relationship with me. So if I say anything harsh, if I do anything rough, I'm going to live and sort of, it's like Siri on your telephone. I say, talk to Siri, and I say to Siri, you know, um, thank you so much for, for being, uh, you know, at my service. She says, I just live to serve. I just laugh my head off. Siri says, I live to serve. Oh, how sweet. She just wants, I said, well, shall we go on a date? She, and she says um, uh, something like, uh, I don't know what you mean or something like that. Well, she just wants to serve me. She doesn't, she's not a real person. You understand that, don't you? Some people don't. <laughs> Mum and Dad thought it was a person on the other end. <laughs> we had a little bit of a joke last night because we were asking Siri some silly questions. But she just lives to serve. You see, when you get into an intimate relationship and you decide that you're going to shift your focus away from that person to yourself and you're going to ask yourself the question, what am I getting out of this relationship, not what I'm giving to this relationship, usually that then begins to break down the relationship. 
because your motivation is no longer to serve, the motivation is to get. And once the motivation changed, the familiarity turns to contempt because you are not giving me what I want in this relationship. And you want to think about that. When you are familiar with a person and you want to serve that person, you can live with that person all your life and it will be happy days because if you're both serving each other, it's happy days. I only have to say, boy, I've got a sore back. And my wife's saying, let me give it a rub. She only has to say, my shoulder's sore and I want to give her a massage. It's not like we are there to get, we are there to give. And the whole of the relationship is about giving. It's about serving the other person. And so that familiarity is built upon something that is serving the other but you change your motivation to a self-centered motivation and that familiarity will turn sour very very quickly it will become every time i come to you just taken from me where's it for me where do i get mine so proverbs actually tells us that the there's an important taste here he says a devious heart the heart that departs and turns aside from God in his way. It despises God. So when you're walking upright with rightness before God and the fear of God is there and you have that sense of, God, I want to worship you. God, I reverence you. God, I'm a little bit scared of you because I really don't want to offend you. God, I'm just standing here and I'm, I'm in awe of you. There's so much I don't know about you and I just want to make sure we can just keep on and I'm living to serve you. It's cool. Everything is cool. But as soon as you shift your focus towards yourself and you say, what can I get out of God or what can I do for myself? You deviate from God. It becomes devious. You depart and you turn aside. And that, the Bible says, brings despising into your relationship. The fear of God tells us a lot of things. Now, I... Oftentimes, we, I remember, um, I've talked to people when they first get saved, and I said, I don't understand the fear of God, you know. Why should we have to be fearful of God? I mean, we shouldn't have to be fearful of God. We should love God, and God should love us, and that should be lovely, dovey, and it's all, the perfect love casts out fear. Why should we have the fear of God? Because the fear of God is not talking about um, terror of God. It's talking about reverence of God. And reverence of God is that healthy relationship that says, I need to respect you and to hold you in high regard and honor you. There's nothing better than a person who is in a relationship with another person and where they both respect one another and hold them in high regard, where they are reverent to one another. They don't take them for granted. They don't do what they want to do. They don't just rough shot over them. They are respectful of them. They don't assume or think that they can get whatever they want. They're always thinking about how it is for the other person and how it's going to feel for the other person. And they're very reverent and respectful to the other person. We lost a lot of that, hey? In our society, we lost a lot of that respect. Any authority figure is just doomed to have our disrespect. Anybody like a mum or a dad who stands there and asks us to do something, we don't care. We're going to give them the full throttle of our disrespect and irreverence. In the olden days, and, and we were looking through our family tree this morning, the children were really respectful to their parents. You know, they would call them very respectful. And in the African culture, it's extremely respectful in the African culture. 
the children don't even call their dad by his name. Never do that. And the mum is always called the elder's daughter, the mother of the elder's daughter. There's a respect and a separation, so to speak, a respect for the elders that's in their culture. We lost a lot of that, haven't we? We lost a lot of the respect. We lost a lot of the reverence. It's all about, you know, me and I. And, and we can talk sometimes to our parents as if they are dirt. God forbid it if we do, but that's the motivation of the world today. There is no respect and no reverence. Okay, so this reverence, this fear of God is this, this attitude of reverence, this cautiousness, this, this respect and this honor the sort of relationship that you would have with somebody who you had really wanted to get into a relationship with, but it was the first or second date and you were just trying to find yourself there. You're just trying to establish, you know, what, how you're trying, you're thinking, I've got to be careful here. You know, I wonder if she, uh, maybe I should pay for the meal. You know, maybe she will get offended if I pay for the meal. Do I open the door for her or not? Will she get offended if I open the door? Will I walk on the right side of the road so that the or not, you know, will she be offended if, if I'm trying to be a gentleman too much, you know? And you're cautious in your relationship because you just don't know how to do what you're going to do. You've got to find out a little bit more about that person so that you cannot be... You're thinking, I hope I'm not going to offend that person by what I'm doing. But you're thinking about that. Why? Because your motivation is to build a relationship, not to break a relationship. It's to build closeness... And intimacy, not to separate a relationship before it starts. Some of you say, well, I don't care, I'll just be myself. And that's why you're still alone. That's why you don't have anybody. Because every time you open your mouth, you show that you are only centered around yourself and you don't care about anybody else and have no respect for anybody else. And so people leave you alone. Because they figure, why bother? Listen, to be friendly, you have to be a, have a friend, you have to be friendly and to be respectful and to consider the other rather than yourself. So the fear of God or the fear in relationships is this reverence and intimacy that we get in our relationship towards honoring one another and respecting one another and honoring God and, and living in reverence and honor towards God. This is what the Bible tells us is the benefits of the fear of the Lord. I'm not going to give you these references. I'm going to speak the references. You'd have to write these references down, but this is what these references are saying. The first one is in, in Psalms 25, verse 14. The secret of the Lord is to them that fear him and he will show them his covenant. I like that. Do you know that? The secret of the Lord is is with those that fear him. And one of the most wonderful things in an intimate relationship is when somebody comes to you and says, can I tell you something I've never told anybody else? Can I just, I, I mean, I think I can trust you. You've proven to be trustworthy. Let me pour out my heart. I want to show you something that's my secret. You think, oh, gee, I'd like to have the secrets of God. Wouldn't you love to have the secrets of God? He says the secrets of God are for those who fear him. So if you think that you can talk God out and beat God down and be rough-mouthed toward God and blame him for things that are happening all around the world, he's not going to tell you any secrets. He can't trust you. The secrets 
of God are for those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Psalm 33 verse 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. So he's got his eye on you. Yeah, that's that relationship thing when you're walking across the room and that person that you love is looking at you as you're walking across that room. They just can't keep their eyes off you. Why? Because there's that thing happening, you know? You like them and they like you and you want to work at that. That's that fear and that respect and that love is there. And God says, if you fear me, I'll keep my eye on you because I love you. You respect me, you reverence me, and I'm watching over you the whole time. In Psalm 34, verse 7, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps about them that fear him, and he delivers them. That's a wonderful promise, you know. If you develop this fear of the Lord, this reverence towards God, Jesus says, you know what? I'll send my boys around to live around you so that nobody will touch you. Is anybody come touch my precious one? They're going to feel the bite of my boys. The angel of the Lord encamps about them that fear him and delivers them. You want to think that one through. Man, this is a benefit. You want to sit your mind down and say, you know, is there some benefit in developing a correct motivation towards God? Well, there's some very good benefits with regard to developing a correct motivation towards God. Psalm 34 verse 9 says, The fear of the Lord, O fear the Lord, ye saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Basically what it says is, he will provide everything that you need. You say, well, I don't have any want. And you ask yourself a question. Is there a problem with my relationship with God and the premise that I'm, I'm, I'm talking down at him or speaking badly about him? Is that why I got want now? Because I'm not expressing the sort of fear that God wants me to have toward him, the relationship of love and, and um, respect that he wants. He said he provides for those who fear him. They have no want. Verse 85, verse 9 says, Surely his salvation is near them that fear him. The glory may dwell in our land. The glory may dwell on earth. So he says that his salvation is near. Well, that's just five reasons there to have intimacy with God and to have this attitude of fear. But here's another five. His mercy is toward those that fear him. Like a father pitieth his son or his children, so the Lord pitieth or has compassion on them that fear him. That's Psalm 103, verse 13. In Psalm 111, verse 5, he says, He hath, me, he hath given meat unto them that fear him. So he's given them food. He's given them nourishment. He will... He will ever be mindful of his covenant. So he's going to always remember his promise to you. In Psalm 145 verse 19, he says, He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. So that any desire that you have, he will make sure that you get what you want. Just think about that one. I, um, my son, is he here today? No. Little girl's sick. Yeah, she's not well. But anyway, God's looking after her. So his wife looks at it and, and, and sees a ring in the shop. And she likes it. And she's got a birthday coming up. Well, my son just loves his wife. And so they go hunting and he goes, hey, well, you know, 
hey, family members, let's get together. Let's all put in a little bit of money so we can buy this ring for my wife. You know? What's that? Where is that? I just love her so much. I think she's so gorgeous. I, I just, I reverence her. I honor her. I don't worship her. I worship God. But I have that respect for her that what she wants, I want to deliver. Let's do it. So he organizes and he motivates us and he, he's motivated himself. What with? What with? What with? A desire to give her his love, the desire of her heart. It's in a material sense. It's, but God is like that. He looks at us and when we fear him and when we love him, he says, what is it you want? And he works hard to achieve the things. He gives us the desires of our heart, the Bible says. He puts those desires within us and he says, let me fulfill that desire for you. Let me get that for you. He actually serves us. Wait a minute. We're meant to be serving God. Yes, I know you have to serve God, but he is the one who serves you before you can serve him. He served you by dying on the cross for you. By taking your sin, he served you. As Christ laid down his life for the church, so a husband is to love his wife and lay down his wife for his life for his wife. It's the same thing. It's the same sort of service. It's the same sort of love. It's the same sort of honoring. It's the same sort of respect. It's the same sort of fear. I want to fear. I, I don't want to offend my wife. Not because I'm scared of what she will do. But I love her and I want to have a good relationship with her, and I honor her. This is the same sort of thing. In Psalm 147, verse 11, it says, The Lord takes pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. He takes pleasure in you. You say, okay, this is all going too far, Mark. You know, I, I know, I know, I'd like to have fear. The Bible tells us the fear of the Lord is clean and it endures forever. And in Psalm 19 verse 19, in Psalm 111 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Like if you think you're not smart yet, get some wisdom. How do you get wisdom? Start fearing God. In Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So if you think you're dumb and you want some knowledge, if you need wisdom, fear God. If you need knowledge, fear God. Because fear God gives you wisdom and knowledge. It gives you understanding. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. It's to hate, to, 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 to not want to do the evil thing. It hates, the fear of this hate evil, to pr- hate pride and arrogancy and, and the evil way and the froward mouth. And in, in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is to be, the beginning of wisdom and, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26 says, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27, The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life, to depart from the snares of death. And Proverbs chapter 15, verse 33 says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, before honor is humility. So this is this humility of heart. And Isaiah 33 verse 6 says, And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of thy salvation, and the fear of the Lord is his treasure. It's your treasure. 
Now there's, look, you don't want to be walking around saying, I fear God. Because people don't understand what you're meaning. Like you're scared of God. Well, Jesus says, hang on, no. As an intrinsic motivation, it's a good thing to be fearful of God. And if you're having trouble with developing an intrinsic motion of the fear of God because there's too much of your flesh and there's too much of your past and there's too much of nonsense that's going on in your life and you're having a difficulty to motivate, then Jesus says, let me help you motivate yourself. Fear not them which, which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So he says, that, let me tell you, it's good to develop a fear of God now, he says, because there's a stick. He says, all of these things I told you about fear of God is the carrot here. Listen here, here's the carrot. It gives you peace. It gives you, you know, I'll give you the desires. I'll provide for you. I'll look after you. I'll camp around you. He's telling us all these things because he's trying to draw us into it. Here's the carrot. Here's the carrot. Have some motivation. Have a reason for moving towards the fear of God. Look at all the things I'm going to do for you if you fear me. And then Jesus says, if you don't fear me, if you don't fear God, he said, they've got a stick. But I will forewarn you whom you shall or shall fear. Fear him which able, which after he hath killed hath bowed to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. He said, look, you need to fear God because he can do some real damage to you later on. Sometimes we have a very, very silly attitude towards God. Now, God really loves us. He, he's given everything he can to us to draw us to himself. And then we get this attitude because we are not wanting to give God our lives. We get this attitude by which we start talking to God in a most disrespectful way or talking about God in a most disrespectful way. Listen to what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 18 about what it's like to live under sin. Maybe you'll recognize some of this stuff in people around you. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. So he's saying there's no cultural difference. You know, you're not a better person because you're a Jew or a better person because you're saying, well, I'm a Christian and that person is a non-Christian. Oh, he says, this cut it, he says, that just labels. He says, have a look at what you're doing, he said. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not even one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become useless. There is none who does good, there is not even one. And you've seen that. You've looked around and people are just running, doing their own thing. They're not thinking about God. They're not wanting to do what God... They've turned aside together and have become useless. Some of the nonsense that you read in the newspapers today and some of the ideas that are being uh, offered today are completely useless ideas, complete nonsense. I was listening to some, some guys talking with um, John Lennox. So you know John Lennox is a, is a, um, a Christian a mathematician who's a professor in, in Oxford University, a great uh, a voice in the apologetic world. And, and he was talking to some atheists, some professor atheists. And you listen to the argument of the atheists, and it's a useless argument. 
The, the argument, basically, if you believe in God, you're believing in a lazy mind. You have a lazy mind because you, you haven't worked out how it's all going to be. You know, you've got a lazy mind. I think to myself, well, wait a minute. You can have an active and energetic and, and hardworking mind. You're going to have to work on a whole lot of hardness to, to work out how it all comes together. Because without God, there's no rhyme or reason in the whole thing. You're going to have to you're going to have extrapolate yourself all around the world to try and understand how it all came together. You're not going to understand how the DNA came together if you don't understand God. And there's no amount of science or mathematicians that are going to be able to tell you how it all came together because it's just outside of you. You can't understand God like that. You can't understand creation like that. It's the handwork of God. And their, their arguments are just useless. And I'm listening to them and I think, oh, that's just like, it's so silly. What you're saying is so silly. Because it's useless. There's none who does good. There is none... There's not even one. Their throat is like an open grave. With their tongues, they, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. The latest trend nowadays, and I read an article, and I think it was in the, it was in the ABC this week, and it had uh, three, three young teenage kids there talking about sexual fluidity. And the, per, the first person, I'm not sure what gender they were, but they were saying... During a day, they may flex from being a boy to being a girl to being a boy to being a girl. They may flex four times in one day. And don't tell them that they're one or the other. Don't look at them and say, what's your gender? Because they haven't decided what their gender is. Your gender has nothing to do with whether you're born a boy or a girl. It has something to do with whether you are happy to be a boy or a girl whether you think you're a boy or a girl, this is absolute silliness now. Because you can't even tell whether you're... What would happen, Phil, if you suddenly decided you were thinking like a girl? Well, then we'd have to call you Phyllis. Because you'd be very offended if we called him Phil. And, and, and the courts would, would back him because that, that, that's sexual fluidity. It doesn't matter. We can take your chromosomes and look at you and say male chromosomes or whatever it is there. It's all male, male, male. It doesn't matter. If he thinks he's a female, he is a female. And don't say anything about that. Otherwise, you're a bad, wicked person who not being respectful and tolerant. It's got silly. It's got, it's got incredibly stupid. The Bible says it's evident. It's evident in front of you. God made it evident. You know the truth. It's there sitting in front of you. It's just common sense. You can see it. And we make it very, very silly. With our tongues, we keep on deceiving. The poison of Aphs is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their path. And the path of peace they have not known. Listen to what it says. There is no peace fear of God before their eyes one of, the, one of the things that you've got to do in your life is ask yourself the question how do I develop a better attitude of fear of God because it's easy not to 
It's easy not to fear God. It's easy to turn away from God. You only have to stop reading the word. You only have to stop listening to what God is saying to you. You only have to stop listening to the conscience that's been cleansed from dead works to serve a living God. And pretty soon you can be thinking horrible things about God because the devil's quite comfortably going to put a whole lot of trash in your head. I mean, if you take the word out of your head, that's the truth out of your head, the devil's quite happy to put the lies in your head. And so you'll have developed a whole lot of attitudes toward God if you don't keep your reading and don't keep your, your study and you don't keep your mind in the Word of God. As soon as you take your head out of it, you'll drop into the problems. As soon as you deviate from the truth, you will drop into an attitude that doesn't fear God. I've heard people say to me, oh, I had one lady and her sister died of cancer. And she sat across the table and rather than drawing some spiritual understanding about what had happened because her sister, a Christian lady, had died of cancer, she sat across the table and she said, I don't know if I can believe in God anymore. He got it wrong that time, taking my sister like that. He, she has now become the judge of God. God who determines whether a person is dying or living, he determines where, and now turns to God and Ha! Hisses at God because my sister was more important to me than God. You say, well, she said she's a Christian. Who holds the keys of life and of death? Jesus does. And death has lost its sting. You know why death has lost its sting? Because we are going to be with him. Hey, don't frighten me with death. That doesn't work. This is just a temporal place. We may live 80, 90 years if you're fortunate. Maybe 100 if you're really for unfortunate. Fortunate. By that time, you're wanting to go with Jesus. But listen to you. We were looking at our, our, our Reed lineage from my great-grandfather, Andrew Reed. He came from Paisley, Scotland, to Invercargill in New Zealand. And I was reading it and I could see all the lions and all the relatives and all the sons and the daughters and who they married and where they went and who they married. And, when they were. and I'm thinking to myself, wow, look at that. Mark, wake up. If that's your family tree, the tree is bigger than you are. You're already 59. You're going to be another number on that page. This life is very temporal. It's better to fear God and to love him than it is to turn away from him and find that you have to live with that for the rest of eternity. See, how do I get a fear of God? How do I get a fear of the Lord? Proverbs chapter 2 tells me very carefully how I get developed. He says, my son or my daughter, say your own name. Let me hear it. Call out your own name. Mark, give me your name. Okay, put your name in here. Heike, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. Say to yourself, Mark, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, if you will make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. Danielle, if you will listen and receive God's words and treasure up his commandments within you. If you will make your ear attentive to wisdom and if you will hear your heart, incline your heart to understanding, 
He says to you, for if you cry for discernment, I mean, you're sitting there saying, I want to understand what's going on in life. And it becomes a cry out of your heart. I want to know. I want to understand. You cry for discernment. You lift your voice for understanding. You want to be able to choose which is right and which is wrong. You want to have no understanding what the issues are. He says, if you seek for her as silver and you search for her as hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord. You know why some of you lost the fear of the Lord? Because you don't do any of that. You want to play the latest game. You want to listen to the latest music. You don't want to sit down and hide the word of God in your heart. You have deviated from the path. So you have lost the fear and the respect of God. You run into some muck and you start asking questions like, how come God... And you're asking negative questions about the God's character rather than you're asking questions about where you are and what you can do to serve God. That's how he did it. He says, word wise, hop into it. Read the word. Strive to understand. Ask for discernment. Get a hunger for it. What's it going to cost you to do that? Time. He says, let your motivation, the thing that motivates you, drive you towards God and understanding God better than drift away from God. What is the devil doing? Is he stirring up like he stirred up in David a reason for you not to do this stuff? Is he stirring up within your mind a reason not to pray? Is he stirring up within your mind a reason not to read the word? Is he stirring up within your mind a reason not to obey the word of God or to obey your mother or to obey your father or to obey anything in the word? Is he stirring up with you a reason to take a wrong census? And you're listening to it? You can change this, you know. You can change your motivation today. You can say, if I keep on going down the way that I'm going, I know where that is going to end. I can tell you. I can tell you because I've been long enough, I've been here long enough to know and see young people come up in their lives, get to a point of adolescence and begin to choose to turn away and choose to go toward. And I'm long enough in my tooth old enough to know that those choices are self-made choices. Choices where we decide whether we're going to do what God wants us to do or we're not. And they're usually built upon the fact that somewhere along the line I've decided I don't need God in my life, I don't need to read his word, I don't need to be dependent on him, I don't need him in my life anymore. And when I don't choose to follow God like that, I don't have any fear of God. And you can say to me, well, you know, hell's coming, I don't care. All my friends are there. They have no fear of God. There's a thought for you, my friends. What's your motive? What is your motive? True worship, that's honouring God, placing God in the centre of your life, worshipping God in spirit and truth. It flows out of a God-centred motive 
a heart that is directed on God and says, you know what, God? I'm going to walk really carefully with you because you're bigger than me. You're mightier than me. And I think I want to maintain this friendship. I don't want to offend this. That's good. That's called fear of God. It's not terror. It's respect. It's reverence. It's honor. It's esteeming. Some of you don't esteem God more than a veggie sandwich. Vegemite sandwich. You'd rather have a Vegemite sandwich. You have such a little respect for God. It worries me. Seriously. If God would say to you, my friend, I need you to put that thing aside. That you think, I like the thing better than I like you, God. That worries me. Imagine that. Oh, we usually do that because we know that God is very forgiving. Hey, you forgive us. You think that that's okay? If you, you wouldn't even do that to your girlfriend or your boyfriend, would you? You'd walk gently. That's if you wanted them to hang around. You'd walk carefully. You know, would you? You just start in a relationship with your girlfriend and she makes you a cake. Would you tell her it stinks and it's horrible and you can't cook? That might be the truth. But you'd, you'd, you'd walk very softly because you'd think, you know, having the girlfriend's much better than having the cake. You know, I just, she's beautiful, but she can't cook. She can do offering up burnt sacrifices. <laughs> Friends, if you are careful in your human relationships because you value them, how much more should you be in your relationship with God? Amen? That's the fear of God, honouring God. Let's stand. So Jesus appeared to them and he communicated to them that he was alive. And these people were astounded. And that changed the whole lives of these people. They walked from there with incredible boldness from that place. Because Jesus now was living, active, alive in their lives. Everything that they had hoped for had now become fulfilled. Do you think they feared God? They walked reverently before him and they said, whatever you want us to do, Jesus, even if you want me to die, I'll do that for you. And they turned the whole world upside down just because of their love for God and their fear of God. Fear of God. Ananias and Sapphira came into the church and they thought they could pull a swifty and turn away from God and tell a lie and God struck them down dead and it says the fear of God was in the place after that people reverence God God is God I want you to bow your heads now and I want you to just think about your life this week think about what you've been doing this week and where the, you know there's been times this week there God has been speaking to you and you've been pushing the boundaries you know Doing the thing you know you shouldn't be doing and, you know, he, he tells you, and, you know, but you've just been pushing the boundaries. My friend, I want to talk to you today about getting it right with God and staying close to God. You can't keep living like that and maintain this fear of God. When God speaks to you, you've got to cherish and keep a good conscience, a clean heart, focus in 
faith and hope and love with him. So I'm going to pray for that. I, don't, I just want you to, I'm not going to get you to put your hand up. I don't care to see God already knows. But if that's been your disposition this week and you need to throw yourself back into God's word and start to cry out for understanding and develop a, a wholesome fear of God, I want you to present your heart to him and I'm going to pray for you now. Father, I pray that you'd just touch those who are coming to you now with their hearts. Lord, you know their hearts. You are the one that convicts their hearts. You know their heart, if it's convicted because they've been wandering from you, Father, that conviction comes from your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you will help them to turn to you, to respond to you, Father, in a positive and healthy way, Father, that they would fear you and love you and cherish you and that all the benefits of having their fear in their lives would come to them, Father. And Lord, that they would escape the corruption that is in the world, Lord Jesus, by knowing you better. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 God bless you.